1 Samuel chapter 30, verses 1 through to 8. 1 Samuel chapter 30, verses 1 through to 8. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Three days later, when David and his men arrived home at their town of Ziklag, they found that the Amalekites had made a raid into the Negev and Ziklag. They had crushed Ziklag and burned it to the ground. They had carried off the women and the children and everyone else, but without killing anyone. When David and his men saw the ruins and realized what had happened to their families, they wept until they could weep no more. David's two wives, Ahinoam from Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal from Carmel, were among those captured. David was now in great danger because all his men were very bitter about losing their sons and their daughters. And they began to talk of stoning David. But David found strength in the Lord his God. Then he said to Abathah, the priest, bring me the ephod. So Abathah brought it to him. Then David asked the Lord, should I chase after this band of raiders? Will I catch them? And the Lord told him, yes, go after them. You will surely recover everything that was taken from you. The inspiration behind my sermon here this afternoon was a a moment in my life when I was going through something called escape and evasion training. This is the environment to which we are placed into a situation in the military that prepares us physically and mentally in case one day we are in the unfortunate situation of being taken captive by the enemy. They place us in the environment to condition us in every aspect so we have a means and a tools to be able to counteract that situation. Come through it, we pray physically, but also come through it mentally. During my time of training, we had a, a former prisoner of war come and speak to us to try and communicate to us directly so we could catch something of what it is like to be in this situation, to prepare our minds. I remember his story. He was shot, he was left to to die, and he crawled into a bush to take cover in a recent conflict. Come the morning, the special forces of this nation swept through the area looking for survivors, and they found this man who was left to dead, still alive and he stood before us and came to address us of his whole experience of being taken captive by an enemy. He described it like this, he said all that the training that I had been through up until that moment was like a small first aid box that was deposited in my mind right at the corner of my being. I hoped that I'd never have to use it but now that I was in the situation too Everything that I taught in that first aid box came to the forefront of my mind. And I remembered with clarity everything that I was trained and I was having to put it into action. You know, an aircraft, when it crashes, has something called the small black box. And in that small black box has all the answers to the crash. 
which aids the investigators to get a corporate picture, a holistic picture of what exactly took place. It came to my thinking, and I thought to myself, as Christians, you and I, we are in a battle. We are on the battle of the spiritual life. And what is our first aid box? What is that small uh, box of instruction? Are we ever trained and taught that in the survival situation of life, in the spiritual battlefield of life, what are our principles? What are the processes to go through? To the measure that the military prepare us, I thought, as the church, are we adequately prepared to face trials? Now, nothing can wholly prepare you for it, but we do our very best, mentally and practically, to hone our mindset so when bad things happen, that we are ready for it. I wanted to create for you here today your very own white box. I pray that we will never have to use it, but we are prepared if we do. We plan for God's gold standard in our life, but we wisely prepare for life's realities. In here, in 1 Samuel 30, we get a snapshot of David's life, his dreams, his aspirations, his future, his foundations, the near and dear to him, his own personal pride, has been completely stripped away from him. He's been pushed out of his country through Saul. He's been pushed out of the Philistine army, the camp to where he was taking residence. And now he finds himself in a harrowing situation where his loved ones, his wives, and his safe place of his home has been stripped from underneath his feet. You could say David right now, with everything ripped away from him, with only his two feet and the living God to stand on, is in a spiritual survival situation on the spiritual battlefield of life. Does this relate to any of you here today? I don't know where you are in your season of life or whether this relates to you. Have you had your future plans dashed at any time? Or your vision and dreams and aspirations in a moment on a turn of a die have disappeared. Work, situations, your relationships, maybe. Opportunities that you had have now been dashed and all that you aspired to become. You've lost someone close to you. You've come down with an illness. Whatever it might be, you find yourself in a survival situation. There's an acronym that we use, and it's the acronym of survival. An acronym is a series, is a word that's letters pronounce a greater meaning. And we are deposited with some core principles of a survival situation. Every soldier will know these and he'll be prepared to act on them to give him some orientation in a survival situation of life when you're completely and utterly disorientated. As you can see, the S stands for size up your situation. The U is undue haste, makes waste. The R is remember where you are, and importantly, remember who you are. 
The V is to vanquish your fears. The I is to improvise, adapt, and overcome. The V is to vanquish your fears. The A is to act like the natives or learn the native way. And the L is to learn the basics. This mnemonic, I have taken core spiritual principles from today that I want to relay to you and share with you that you can use as a mnemonic and a quick remembrance tool when you're in a spiritual survival situation of life that you may gain some orientation, that you may stay anchored and that you may come through it in the spirit with power, grace, love and further on in your journey with the living God and for all the aspirations that he has for your life and that resonates deep inside of you. The first point we have is to size up the situation. Size up the situation. The principle here is that when the whole of life hits us out of the blue, when we get completely turned upside down and disorientated, it's here that we size up the situation. We've got to take ourselves to a place to see things from heaven's perspective from God's sovereign perspective. This is the central and most pivotal of all of the principles to which all the other principles will come down from. It's the notion that we see things from heaven, we see things from God, we see things from an aerial perspective, and this gives us a holistic impression of all the mitigating factors and all that's taking place in this situation and in this time. We look at David, we glean back to him here on his journey. He's on a high in effect, he's going home. He had been pushed out of his country, he had been pushed out from the Philistines as reject. But only him and 600 of his mighty men are going home to Ziklag. They're going to go see their wives, they're going to go see their children, they're going to go see their family. David has heard across the valleys and across the deserts that the World Cup is taking place. He's visualizing his plasma TV screen in front of his armchair. He knows England are through to the last 16. He's heard that Harry Kane is on the track to get the golden boot. It's no surprise to him. He's a Jew. He's a great Tottenham fan. And things are lining up nicely. He's excited. His wife makes the best cup of tea this side of Israel. And he's looking forward to sitting down and enjoying every drop of it. It's been a tough season for David, but his vision is enlarged. He's excited. He rode for three days solid to get home to Ziglag with his mighty men. Morale is high. Things are looking good. But then, in that moment, we read the story. He comes back to see the whole village empty and burned. Everything is stripped away. His wife, uh, plural, his colleagues and mighty men's wives and his friends, the daughters, the sons, all of his possessions gone in a blink of an eye. He's stranded. Everything is stripped from him in that moment. What does he do? 
He's pressed on every side. He's nowhere to turn naturally. He's crushed. He's gone. David does what he does best, though. David lifts up his eyes. David sizes up the situation. He grips hold of his living God that he's, he's learned to do in many, many times before and seen the promise of the righteous right hand of the living, faithful God in action and in his life. And he knows that this is only half the story. God, I'm hurting right now. My flesh is screaming. I have lost everything. I'm alone. I'm desolate. God, help me. Give me the full picture, please. Give me the strength to stop from falling because I have nothing in me right now other than the hope of you living God that you once again will come through for me. 1 Samuel 36 gives us the key principle in this situation. David found strength in the Lord his God. His life has been thrown a curveball from a natural perspective. Let me ask you, do you feel like life right now has suddenly dumped you into a sinkhole? You are walking fine on your journey, but suddenly the ground has just come out from under your feet. You're confused, you're disorientated, you're lost, you're alone, you feel abandoned, you feel hurting emotionally, physically, you've hit a mist, you just cannot see clearly. In this moment, we've got to size up the situation and see things from heaven's perspective. We've got to strengthen ourselves in the Lord. There was a core principle that I was trained as a young soldier, that I went on to train my men. It's called having a condor moment. It's the notion that when life hits you, when the enemy gets the upper hand, when the bullets are flying and the bombs are dropping and disorientation and confusion reigns, it's in that moment when the emotions are screaming, it's in that moment where your judgment is clouded, that we are to have a condor moment. It's a moment whereby you still your heart. You hold on tight and you get clarity on the situation. You physically draw yourself out from the environment. You fix your eyes from an aerial perspective. And you begin to make a plan. From the aerial perspective. And not from the weeds and the emotions and the hurt that you're experiencing in that moment. It's a condor moment. It's seeing things from heaven's perspective. Mark 8, 3, 3. Jesus is having a conversation with Peter. And he says, who do they say that I am? They go through a list and he says, Peter, but who do you say that I am? Peter has a revelation of the spirit of who Christ Jesus is. But then, later on, it comes to a point where Jesus turns to his disciples and he rebukes Peter. And he says to him, get behind me, Satan, he said, because you're seeing things merely from a human point of view and not God's point of view. Jesus is communicating all that will take place to him. Peter, from a natural perspective, didn't like it. It didn't ring true to what he saw. But Jesus is observing the plans from heaven's perspective. And he rebukes Peter for not being spiritually minded, but for being naturally minded. 
To size up the situation is for us to see according to the spirit and not according to the natural and to be dictated by it. To see things according to heaven's perspective and through heaven's lens and thereby be influenced by the spiritual leading and by the word and not the natural leading in our life. We size up the situation. Isaiah 43, 13 states, Indeed, before the day was, I am he. And there is no other who can deliver out of my hand. I work and who will reverse it. This is a picture of the sovereign living God to who David is putting his strength in. This is the position to which you're putting your hope and strength in. The sovereignty and providence of God that he holds all things in the palm of his hand. And regardless of the situation you find yourself or may find yourself in this moment, it's that to which you're gleaning your strength. And it's towards heaven's perspective that you are sizing up the situation. Looking according to a spiritual lens and not a natural perspective. This is the first principle and it is essential. Seeing things from heaven. Sizing up your situation. The second principle, the you, is undue haste makes waste. Now this is the perspective that in a crisis moment, that when panic sets in, fear rages and confusion reigns, your emotions will be soaring. Now if we yield towards the emotion, we will step into error. We will make the situation worse. We are to be led by the Spirit and not according to our emotions. That's not to, 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 to brush aside our emotions. They can be a great tool. But we're not to be overrid or dictated by them. This principle is critical to minimize further hurt and confusion and to maximize clarity and positive outcome. Here, we must look economically with our time and thoughts. Uh, we must be economical with our resources and our energy so we can think clearly and wisely and pick a wise path forward. We get to concentrate our efforts and thereby be economical with them. The notion here is of haste. Hasty, to act hastily is to respond in your emotions. It's to thrash, it's to grasp, it's to clutch at anything you can in that situation. But this principle is saying, no, that is wasteful. That will breed more hurt and greater danger for you. Don't respond according to the emotion. Don't respond according to the flesh. Because in that moment, these feelings will be soaring and roaring. No. Be still. Know that I am God. Size up the situation. And don't be hasty. You see here again with the life of David, we can draw a true principle that must govern us in this situation. David's response provides the gold standard response for you and I in this situation. He's at wit's end in his moment, but I tell you, he's not at faith's end. He's at wit's end, but he's not at faith's end. And his faith is still strong, forged in the light of his journey with the living God. And the first thing he does, he reaches not in his flesh or to orchestrate the situation in his own ability or wisdom. 
his first response is to say to the high priest, give me the ephod, get me the ephod. He's hurting, but he knows that his default position and his immediate response in this situation is to reach for the ephod. Now the ephod was a garment that the great high priest wore. And in that garment, that robe, it had two stones, the Urim and the Thummim. It was the garment that the priest carried, and the two stones reflected lights and perfection. The lights of the word would be a good analogy for us, and also perfection, meaning discernment. When we lay a hold of the word and the light of him in a situation, the perfect outcome is to glean the second stone of discernment in that situation. The light of the word, the discernment of the leading of God in the spirit will lead to a perfect conclusion for you. Not according to a natural perspective, but according to God's overarching big picture and plan for your life and for him in its totality. The umum and the thumim. He lays a hold of it, the ephod, our uman and thuman, in our lives today is found in 1 Corinthians. It's the indwelling spirit of the living God so that we may attain to the mind of Christ. It's through that filter that we pave our way forward and find the best exit or the best path for the situation we are enclouded in in that moment. Lay hold of the ephod for your life. Grip hold of the word. Hold on to God and let the Spirit illuminate it to you so that you can make a well-informed, holistic decision according to heaven's perspective in that moment and in that situation. 1 Samuel 30, 30 uh, verse 8. Again, we see the core principle of David. What did he do? It says he inquires of the Lord. He inquires of the Lord of his duty and he inquires of the Lord of his event. The duty being, Lord, what is my duty in this situation? What will you have me to do? Because I know you hold all things in the palm of the hand and nothing takes you by surprise. He asks him, shall I pursue after the Amicalites? He then says, and what will be the outcome? We find out our duty in the situation and God prophetically, through the word, will give us insight into the outcome. We inquire of our duty. We see the event and its outcome. Size up the situation. He did not manage things in his own emotion or his own wisdom. There was an array of many things he could do in that situation. And you could say he would be well justified in doing it. But he doesn't care about being justified according to the flesh, according to human's perspective. He was a man after God's own heart and he desired his perspective and to be justified in him and him alone. Imagine the feeling. Imagine the situation that David was in. His flesh, the hurt, would have been strong. Every ounce of him would have wanted to respond, but he didn't. He decided to respond according to God. In this situation, you and I, as mortal beings, 
but yes, saved by the grace of God, will have the emotional tendency to panic. We will have the emotional tendency to snatch at the situation or maybe try to manipulate it from our own wisdom to, to, to coerce it to how is palatable to us or how according to our limited perspective from a natural horizontal perspective how this situation may play itself out. We put our hands on the situation and when we put our hands on the situation God can't put his hands in the situation. David didn't want to touch it. He knew there was a greater purpose and plan, but he wanted God's hand to be on the situation so he could orchestrate it. We, are, we feel squeezed. We feel pressured. Yes, we do. If you're a businessman and things start going awry, not according to your strategic plan or financial projections, don't snatch. Don't try and coerce a situation. What about in relationships, when things start taking a perspective that doesn't look according to your perspective? Don't snatch. Don't snatch at it. Hold on. Be still. Know he's God and reach for the ephod. Reach for the leading of the Spirit in that situation and respond according to the fruits and not according to the flesh. What about major decisions that you've got to make in your life today? How are you going about making those decisions? According to the flesh, your own human perspective? Or are you sizing up the situation? Are you being hasty in any way? Or do you have to inquire of the Lord afresh and see things from his perspective? Be still. Inquire of the Lord and seek his leading from his life. Proverbs 19.2 sums it up perfectly, this principle. Enthusiasm without knowledge is no good. Haste makes waste. You will get the knowledge for the situation you need from the living God and from his perspective. Be still. Gather all the perspectives. Hold on tight to him. Let him settle your heart. Anchor yourself to his truths. Don't be led by the emotions. Size up the situation. Inquire of him. Let him comfort you. Let him strengthen you. Yes, but then let him lead you on to where he needs you to be. David was a man who strengthened himself in the Lord and inquired of the Lord. The third principle I'm going to touch on here is remember where you are. Remember who you are. This is pivotal in our time and our society. Because not only here in this situation, you can escalate and make the situation worse if you act hastily. You can get further lost in the woods and disorientated what all is going on around you. We lose ourselves. The environment is crushing us. The, the, the natural perspectives are influencing us. And we begin to lose ourselves. We begin to lose the bigger picture. We begin to lose and we forget what it's really all about. You begin to forget why you set off on this journey. You begin to forget what the bigger picture is for my life and for the situation. We look again at the life of David. 
David's ability to trust God was huge. He seeked him with all his strength and trust. And this, 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 this strength and this, this trust wasn't just forged overnight. No, no, this was a long, long, long journey with David as a young shepherd boy out in the hills, tending to his father's sheep, learning and building trust with the living God, coming to learn to see the principles of the kingdom and how God functions in people's lives. God is unique. Yes, he is. He operates differently in everyone's lives. He, um, he, 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 there's no formula to how God functions. But we can understand patterns of the kingdom of how he functions. David had learned some key patterns in his life. That for as long as he was a man after his own heart, as long as he trusted in him, then some way, shape or another, he would bring him through to dry land. And not only bring him through to dry land, but return to him all that would be lost. He had gone through a torrid time in his life, but he knew one pivotal, fundamental truth. God is faithful. God is just. God is true. And he will see me through one way, shape or another. He had traversed the journey with God so often. His journey was littered with many memorials of God's faithfulness. He had to remember that he was anointed by God and he was chosen for purpose. He looked up and he saw the full perspectives of life. He wasn't consumed by the environment and the situation. And he didn't allow this to influence him. He didn't believe the propaganda about him, but he believed God and took him at his word. He could have resigned himself to the belief that all was lost and he deserved actually what was coming to him. But this wasn't his worldview. This wasn't David's lens. You see, at this point, his very closest allies, his closest friend, his 600 mighty men were furious and they themselves were purposing to think of a way to kill David. They wanted to stone him. These were the men that he had been on a great journey with. They'd seen the hand of God in his life. Even his closest, his nearest and dearest, now turned his back on him and were wanting to crush him. You see, in this situation, the environment can begin to crush us. The environment begins to push us down. We begin to abide our environment. We are no longer influencers of the situation. This situation is so overwhelming. It's like a flood that comes over us that we now become a part of our environment and we begin to flow with its philosophies and its world's view. We lose all of our strength and ability and wisdom to deal and handle this situation. This is the perspective and the notion of naturalism. Naturalism is the notion that all that we have uh, from a philosophical worldview uh, arises from natural properties and causes that there is actually no supernatural realm. So as believers, for as long as we just get consumed from a natural perspective, as for as long as we are just a product of our environment, 
We are never going to see things or gain the strength from heaven's perspective. We are always going to be consumed by the prevailing winds and thoughts and philosophies of the day. Because our strength and our wisdom is found in the living God. And that is our plumb line. David, he couldn't afford to see things or experience things from this environment. Everything was against him. But he rose up, strengthened himself in God, and saw things from a spiritual perspective. Don't allow the environment to push your head down. Don't get further lost in the woods of life. Strengthen yourself onto God. Hold tight to him. Let me ask you, what waypoints can you draw on to strengthen yourself in the Lord from where he's got you to where you are today? See the whole picture. He's come through for you before. He will come through for you again. Let me ask you, what story are you telling yourself? Are you telling yourself the story influenced by your environment and the situation? Or are you telling yourself heaven's story from the living word of God? What story are you telling yourself? Whose voice are you ultimately leading to? Because for as long as the confidants that David had around him of his 600 men were once his great ally, and he no doubt would have emotionally trusted and supported in them, in this moment, everything is stripped away. What voices are you listening to? And that's good for a time and for season, but that's not your ultimate reality. Because at some stage, life happens. That, 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 that situation may dissipate and disappear. Who could have foresworn what happened with David and those mighty men? That everything was stripped away. We prepare ourselves for the gold standard, but we have one eye on life's realities. Strengthen yourself in the Lord. Let his word, let his truths be your ultimate umpire and director for your life. You see, David would have looked back. He would have remembered that time as a young shepherd boy when he took the lion, when he took the, boar, the, the, the bear. He would have remembered when he was anointed to be king and everything but looks like it at this situation. But he would have remembered, no doubt, that moment when he was anointed. He knew that God was true and faithful and somehow, some way, it will come to fruition. He remembered the time when he defeated Goliath against all odds and God anointed him for that situation. He remembered the time where God defended him supernaturally against Saul. Even of all the armies of Israel trying to track him down and kill him, God preserved him. He would have remembered this in this situation. His environment was crushing him down. His environment could have done many things to him. But one thing his environment could never take away from David was what he thought and how he responded. One thing this world can never take away from you, one thing your environment will never take away from you, is what you think and how you respond. That is yours and that is empowered by the life 
of the Spirit and when we strengthen himself in God. David would have remembered his many, many victories in God. He came to learn that he was a good, faithful God who works all things together for good. You see, if we're living according to a naturalist perspective and not a cosmological viewpoint, cosmology being the philosophy of the origins of the world, if all that we are is material matter and we don't observe things from a cosmological perspective, that there is an intelligent designer, that God is timeless, that he's limitless, that he's spaceless, that he's immaterial, then we've lost it. Because there's nothing outside of our environment and situation that can supernaturally or sovereignly help us. But that's not our truth. That's not our fundamental reality. Our fundamental reality, that there is a living God who's timeless, spaceless, who's moral, who's good, who's just, who's outside of the natural space and realm, who is controlling all things by the power of his word and by his grace. That is our strength. For as long as there's nothing of that, for as long as everything's a natural perspective, we've lost it. There's no hope. There's no strength. There's no future. And thereby we must have another phrase, the philosophy of teleological viewpoint. It's a posh word to basically means that every function and purpose has an ultimate end and goal. It's understanding that every situation isn't by surprise from God. It is to us. But it does have and will have a function and purpose towards an ultimate goal and ultimate purpose. If we just observe from a natural perspective, then all that we have and all that we do and all that will be is purely from a natural perspective and there's actually very little hope. And that's why there is such little hope in this earth. But we are full of hope today because we see things from a teleological perspective, from a cosmological perspective, that there is an intelligent designer that is a living God who's reached out his right hand of grace into this world, that's pulled us out of the miry clay, that has established us on a sovereign rock, that has filled us with the spirit to have guidance and to have life and to know that all that we have and all that we know here and now is nothing in light of heaven's perspective and the eternal rewards and the eternal life that we were all living and breathing and moving in some time. Things work together for good, from a cosmological, theological, teleological viewpoint. He's the living God, and that's our strength today. It is the duty and interest of all good people, whatever happens, to encourage themselves in God as their Lord and their God, assuming ourselves that he can and will bring light out of darkness. He will bring peace out of trouble and he will bring good out of evil to all that love him and accord according to his purposes. Isaiah 43.1 says, I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. Joshua 4.6. Here, we will use these stones as a memorial. What memorials have you got in your life that you can look back on and see 
and strengthen yourself in to remind yourself on the goodness and faithfulness of God. Because what he has done before, he will do again. And I believe with ever-increasing measures. We are on an upward spiral on the wings of the Spirit to see things from his perspective and not according to the earthly realm. My fourth point that I'm not going to have time to go into right now is to remember, is to vanquish your fears. Fears will cripple you in a situation. The opposite of fear is faith. Now, I would say we don't even vanquish those fears. I'd go one step farther and say we can channel those fears. Channel them for positive end. Don't allow them to crush you and immobilize you, but embrace them and let them be your righteous anger and your fuel to drive you forward in a survival situation. Vanquish your fears. He said to Joshua, didn't he? This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Psalm 27 says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When we size up the situation from heaven's perspective, when we do not act hastily, but we trust in the Lord with all our heart and lean not in our own understanding and allow him to direct our paths, when we remember who we are, that we've been purchased with great price, when we remember where we are because of the journey that God has got us towards and here to this day, we're still standing, we're still breathing and he still has great plans ahead. Regardless of what hits you in life, yes, although it hurts, or yes, although it feels like it's the end, it's not. That is a natural perspective. We are supernatural beings and we have a supernatural God and we're going to see things from heaven's perspective and we're going to respond and act in like manner. We draw inspiration from David and you'll see at the end of the story, like he shared, which was the purpose that he brought everything back to David's life. He lost not nothing. His wives and his friends' children, they were not touched. In fact, they gained not only all what was lost, they gained many, many timefold more. And from the overflow of that blessing and provision, David was able to bless many people in the land of Judah. You see, God will work everything together for good. What you think you have lost now, God will bring back in abundance in this life or the next. <laughs>